Thank you, Allison. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Kevin Sanders, lead pastor here at Hope. And boy, it is good to be here, not just because it's warmer in here than out there, but because I'm with all of you and we are here worshiping God and he's on the move. He is at work. He is good. Amen. Amen. Are you ready to dive into God's word today? I need one thing to help us get started. Okay. All right. There we go. Now I'm ready. You guys ready now? Yeah. What do you think we're talking about today? <laughs> yes. We're talking about whipped cream. Now, why we're talking about whipped cream, I have this pumpkin pie here. Uh, I get thrilled anytime there's dessert. Anyone else? I mean, there's like dessert, and we have entered dessert season, right? Sometimes you call it the holidays, but truly it's dessert season. Thanksgiving, Christmas, for me, my birthday's in January. Miles's was November, beginning, so it's just like three months of goodness, right? And what I really, really love is when someone offers to get you your dessert, right? Isn't that great? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'd love to get you some dessert. You want some pumpkin pie? Sure. And then the next best question, would you like whipped cream with it? Why, yes, of course. Why would you even eat this without this, right? You know what the best is? It's not this when they come out and that's it. What is that? What are you doing, right? No. This is what I want with my pie. I mean, if, if I'm with company, this is what I want when I'm with pie. What I really want, what we all want, right? Are you, I mean, come on. Why eat pumpkin pie? Okay, it's fine. It's mostly air. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Anyone with me on this? Yeah, my people. Why am I doing this? I'm not going to smash this in anyone's face. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, today we're talking about generosity. Talking about generosity. So hold this image in your mind. I love pie, and I love a generous helping of whipped cream. And generosity is not just this little dinky, tiny little thing we add on top of something, but it is a thing that overflows out of who we are. So this is what we're talking about today. Does anyone want this? Uh, it's also a little more than a week old, but does anyone want this? <laughs> if you do, it's up here. No judgment. Just help yourselves. And uh, Meg, we need more whipped cream at home. That is empty. <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's all right. No judgment here. I said. <laughs> For, forgive me. Okay. Get this. I looked up generosity. How do people define generosity? What does Webster say? And I think Webster really, really undersold it. Uh, they said that it is simply the quality of being kind or plentiful. What an undercutting definition. Being kind or plentiful. No, no, generosity is so much more than that. Because you don't think about when you've been on the receiving end of a generous act before. It was not just someone being kind, was it? 
you get overfilled with this feeling, this feeling of what? Gratitude. Meg and I recently, in short order, received three incredible acts of generosity. One of them was just last week from all of you with your incredibly gracious and generous gift that you gave us. And we are just deeply humbled with each of those acts of generosity. It, it fills us with this, this, this depth of gratitude that, that leads us to want to be generous in response. Think of your own life when you've received those acts. See, generosity begets generosity. It just keeps on going. It's generosity leads to more generosity, which leads to more generosity. And so what we're focusing on today is this idea of generosity. In our series, The Gratitude Paradox, we're, we're acknowledging there's a lot of paradoxical things present in God's true word that at first seem to be opposed to each other, these little sayings, but when further study, they actually prove true. So today's paradox is that in the kingdom of God, loss is gain. And we're doing it around the topic of generosity. Consider this passage from Luke 9. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In the kingdom of God, loss is gain. This verse points to this recalibrating paradox, uh, the reality of this paradox for us. Because it's, it's not just the paradox. As we talked about last week, it's completely countercultural. Radical, uh, crazy generosity stands out in this day and age. But we also know it's the way our Lord calls us to. It's a hard way, but it is a good way. It's a narrow road. And the, the narrow road of life means that if you're on a narrow road, you have to give some stuff up. You ever, you ever, you ever go flying, right? And you, you bring, you like, you're, you try and defy the carry-on limit, right? And you like shove it in that little test thing. And oh, it fits. I don't need to check it at the gate. Meg and I, when we flew recently, there was this guy with this, I don't know how they let him on the plane. It was like bigger than my seat, right? But he's trying to walk through that little tiny aisle on one of those little puddle jumper planes. And he's like shoving it through every single sh- seat. And it's, it's, it's like, what, what are you doing? Just leave that behind, right? You can leave it at the gate. They'll check it. The narrow road of life, we don't need to check anything. There's not room for all this luggage on this narrow road. We know that when we leave this earth, we don't get to take all our stuff with us. It doesn't come with us. No, no. When we die, we know all our stuff, all the things we accumulate here physically will rust, be destroyed by moths, it will fade away. But in the kingdom of God, it's not about having the coolest stuff or the biggest collection of treasures or, or the biggest storehouses. And when that's full, we build a bigger storehouse to hold everything. It's all about surrendering control of our lives to one far more capable. It's about living for him, not storing up treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven to give, to live a life of giving, to give and to give and to give some more with joy in our hearts, all as a response to the God who has given us his everything. Easy, right? 
No. No. No, it's not easy. Because it's so countercultural. Think of Jim Elliott for a minute. He was a missionary turned martyr. Gave up his life for the sake of the gospel and the salvation of a remote tribal people in South America. Maybe you've heard of him before, that Jim, along with four other men, they were speared to death in a jungle in Ecuador by the very tribal group that they had prayed for for six years. These five missionaries truly gave it their all, committing their lives to Jesus for the sake of this tribe. Jim now was a pretty fascinating guy. He was only 28 when he died. He had very little in terms of material possessions. He was fully sold out to Christ, following him with this radical zeal that we kind of all long to have, but we're also kind of afraid of, right? Because you have to give up a lot of stuff to do that. He had very little in personal wealth. He wasn't famous or rich, or he simply sought to follow God by giving it his all. Now, after his death, his wife found this written in one of his journals, and it encapsulates how he sought to live, and he is indeed paraphrasing the very words of Jesus. This is what he wrote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. If you were with us last week, you remember what we said, that if you have all the world but you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have Jesus and nothing else, you have everything. See, Jim gave up his life, but he gained his heavenly reward. Not just that, he inspired and he convicted others. Jim's wife was inspired and convicted by her husband's sacrifice. Even as she mourned his loss, get this, his wife, now widow, along with others, continued to try and reach that same tribe. And through their efforts and the grace of God, the tribe came to know Jesus. Jim was generous in his life, giving it all for the sake of God. His generosity of living, it led to others wanting to do the same despite the cost. Generosity begets generosity. Now, obedience to God may cost us everything, but the reward we receive is priceless, and it goes far beyond any worldly value. So we hear this story about Jim Elliott, this amazing missionary in South America, and, and we think that that's awesome, but that doesn't apply to us. That's an exceptional thing. Except we know it does. This does apply to us. They had their mission field, South America, and we have our mission field. But before we, we, we turn and look about us and our own generosity-fueled mission, let's first consider another missionary in his mission field. Yes, the most generous being to ever walk the earth, Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus' abundant and joy-filled generosity. Think about all that, that God has given. This earth, this beautiful playground. You know what? Whether you like snow or not, how gorgeous is it out there? It's beautiful. 
Think of all the people most dear to you. Think back in your memory bank of those most precious of moments in your life. We know what it says in God's Word. In James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. How beautiful. How beautiful. And then we consider John 3.16. So loved the world that what did he do? He gave. And he didn't just give, he gave his son. His one and only son. The fact that God gives anything at all should completely stop us in our tracks. Everything he gives is an act of radical generosity. He needs not give anything. We're going to return to last week's focus passage, which put on display for us the gentle, humble, and lowly heart of Christ uh, for us. But this time, let's look at it through the lens of God's generosity. Philippians 2, 6-11. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, yes, even death on a cross. So therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He sacrificed himself. He left the glory of heaven and became human by giving himself to us and for us. And in his giving, God raised him up. And Jesus doesn't just give, he gives up. (laughs) But not like how we'll give up, right? He, He gives up. Think about everything Jesus gave up. He gave up the angelic praise for human mocking. He gave up his omnipresent being, 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 being this amazing omnipresent being, for the confines of a human body. He left his omnipotent power in heaven as God and chose to be entrusted that Christmas morning to the care of a very young newlywed couple. You talk about brave. He gave up the light of heaven for the darkness of death in the tomb. He gave it his all and he gave it all for you. That is generous. That is generous. Now, is something actually considered generous if it doesn't come with sacrifice? Would you say? No. It's part of generosity. Take that, Webster. Where's the sacrifice? True generosity includes some sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed everything. 
He died so that we might live. His loss becomes our gain. His generosity came with the deepest of sacrifice, even as he teaches us that true gain comes through loss. You know this teaching of Jesus on sacrifice and generosity. Luke 21 puts it this way. Jesus, he looked up. Now he's in the temple. He looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And then he saw a poor widow. She put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. I want to talk about sacrifice. This faith-filled woman knew what it was to lack. Oh, she knew what it was to lack more than most of us. And she also knew better than most what it is to give. Those coins, it's easy to say, yeah, two small copper coins, they were worth the equivalent of one-third of a cent. Two copper coins wasn't even a penny, all right? It was one-sixty-fourth of a day's wage. And Jesus said it was all she had to live on. She had nothing. But all that she did have, that she treasured, that she was holding on to, she released and gave it back to God with a deep faith. Jesus now, about the rich, he's not saying they're in the wrong because they had a lot. That's not at all what he's suggesting here. Uh, He's really focusing on this woman. He's not really condemning the rich folks here. But in contrast, he is saying that perhaps they were just going through the motions. Was there a level of sacrifice for them such as that with the widow? Perhaps their sacrifice wasn't proportional to that of the widow. See, generosity is not about, in any way, just hitting the bare minimum. It's not about reckless and thoughtless uh, random acts either. It's not just about that, going willy-nilly, doing what we want, when we want. No, no. Being generous at its heart is sacrificial. It, it It is not so much about how much we give of our time or our talents or how much we have. And so, but it's how much we sacrifice. How much do we trust? How much are we willing to let go? Generosity, see, it, it is an f- act of faith. It is to say, all I have, God, is yours. Take my heart, take my gifts, for they are yours. And it is a gratitude-fueled response to the God who has given it his all. See, generous living, it It's motivated not by what we get out of it, but by a longing to be like our Savior as we respond to all he's given us. And this is a shift I think a lot of us need to take in our lives. And when I talk about generosity, it's every facet of our lives, not just our finances. Every area, our time, our presence, our gifts, our abilities, yes, our finances. You see, being generous is not something we have to do as a Christian. It's a complete, deep honor and a core element to the fabric of our faith and life as we seek to be like Jesus. Generosity and contentment, we know, are not dependent on how much or how little we have. 
If it is, we're in trouble. No, it's all about having a heart fully surrendered to Christ. That's where we find our, our contentment and generosity flows from. Think of Jesus. No Christian would ever question whether he was the most generous being in the universe. If you question it, you're going to be wrong. <laughs> he is the most generous being in the universe. He is infinitely generous. And not just that, he is joyfully generous. He, he, he isn't like, um, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever like had a friend who offered to like let you use like their car or like a tool, like a tool, right? Like, yeah, here, use my drill, right? But you could tell they really didn't want you to actually use their drill. Like, have you ever had that where like they, they were kind of like very hesitant to say, yeah, you can definitely use my drill. Just make sure when you use it, you know, the torque is Right, and make sure you don't, you know, be very careful with the bit. And let me just show you how this works, and I'm going to call you every half hour to check up on you and how it's going, right? Yeah, that's not how Jesus is with his generosity. He wasn't hesitantly or mournfully generous. He was joyfully generous. And he invites us to give of ourselves with that same joy. Look at what it says about him in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. What does it say? For the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you and your own work to further his kingdom will not grow weary and lose heart. For the joy set before him, Jesus gave everything. He sacrificed everything. He endured pains unimaginable. Why? For the joy set before him. Hmm. He endured the cross. He scorned and he mocked the shame that came his way. For he knew what he had accomplished in that great act of giving himself up. The sacrifice was more than worth it. And having done so, he gained his heavenly reward. We know that. And we too will gain ours if we give him our lives. And as we seek to love and live like Jesus, we need not grow weary as the text encourages us. We need not lose heart for we have the same joy set before us. And that joy overcomes all for Jesus Christ is the source and the fulfillment of that joy. And Jesus' generosity, it is on a whole different plane than that, that we view as generous. Some days, if I'm feeling real generous, that tip might get up to 25%. Know what I'm saying? Hey, high roller up in here. That's generous, right? Maybe not now with the economy and inflation and stuff, but there was a day. Jesus' view of generosity is like, it's not even, it's, it's a whole different game. He was lavishly generous. Lavishly and joyfully generous. It's like this absurd image of the pumpkin pie. It just keeps pouring out, and it doesn't run out either like that can. 
pours out his love. He is lavishly generous. 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. That is what we are. (laughs) When Jesus walked this earth, there were several times when he went way above and beyond what was asked of him. Lavishly generous. Think about that very first recorded miracle of his ministry at the wedding in Cana and Galilee. Remember when he was like, ah, they ran out of wine. It's not my time, but okay, mom, I will take care of this. Remember how many, all those vats that he had overflowing with wine? Not just overflowing with wine, but the most amazing of wine. He went way above and beyond what was asked of him. Think about the feeding of the 5,000, which we know is a lot more than just 5,000 because, you know, the women and children aren't in that count. There was so much to go around, there were leftovers. Think about after his death as he comes to the Sea of Galilee where his disciples returned and they're fishing all night long not getting a single bite. <laughs> he shouts out, hey, cast your net to the other side of the boat. Haven't thought of that one, Jesus. But they obeyed. They didn't know it was him yet, right? They obeyed. They cast it out, and their nets are bursting, overflowing, overstuffed with fish. The text even tells us it was 153 fish. They were fishing all night and not a nibble, and now Jesus shows up, and he, he abundantly gives them 153 fish. That's way over the daily limit. What is the limit? Andy, Dad, what's the limit? I don't even know. That's way over it, even if there's a few of them. He was... <laughs> My dad depends on the species. I don't know that. It's, just, it's 153 of them, all right? <laughs> then think about think about his presence the time he gave he always got up early to have his first and most precious time with god and not just that it also allowed him to be present to everyone around him think of his entire ministry he was never rushed he had the most important work in the universe to do and he always had the time of day for those who needed him anyone here like me hate being like interrupted during your day and all that stuff? Think of how many times Jesus was interrupted by needy people. How does he respond to them? With his loving, grace-filled presence. He was locked in. He was there. You, right here before me, is what matters to me most right in this moment. It's deeply, deeply, deeply generous. He not only practiced it, He also taught it. He condemns selfishness and stinginess, and he delights and celebrates when others show the same abundant generosity. Do you remember when Mary poured that entire pint of perfume upon Jesus' feet? Do you remember? Remember what the disciples said? What reckless waste. What, What overindulgent extravagance. Jesus was having none of that talk, was he? No, no. While they scoffed at the excessiveness of this gesture, Jesus delighted in this woman's act of generosity. See, there obviously are times we have to be careful about being excessive, right, in what we give, certainly to ourselves and sometimes with others, depending on the circumstance. But we can never, ever, ever be too generous toward our God. 
So in response to this joy-filled, over-the-top, lavish, and love-filled generosity, how do we respond? The very first step is the natural, res- the natural step, the natural response. It's gratitude. It's gratitude. It's being grateful. You probably feel it now, having thinking and reflecting on Jesus and who he is. We count our blessings. We just sang that song, 10,000 Reasons, right? 10,000 is just the very beginning. Your heart beats on average 100,000 times a day. You take on average 22,000 breaths a day. That is the bare minimum of things we can celebrate because each beat of our heart, each breath in our lungs is an incredibly generous gift from the giver of life. So at minimum, you have 122,000 things to be thankful for from God. How about that? 10,000, get out of here, Matt Redman. (laughs) Our natural response is gratitude. That's our first response to the generous generosity, generous generosity, it works, of God. So as we reflect on all he's given and how much he has filled us up after being grateful, we must also respond in kind. Look in the mirror. How am I reflecting that same generosity of my Savior? Generosity begets generosity. Is it stopping with me? Or am I letting it flow out of me? Am I generous like Jesus? See, God calls us to a generous life. In fact, the practice of consistent generosity is just part of the fabric of what it means to live like Jesus. Look at all his teachings and you'll find the Savior expects us to follow him in this way. He doesn't say, pick up your cross and hang tightly to your day planner and make sure you're clutching to your checkbook and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. To generously love and live just as he did to give him our all because he gave us and continues to give us his all. See, to gain our life, we must lose it. To surrender it, all of it, to him. No exceptions. See, this life is not our own. I got some good reformers in here. Had over catechism, Q&A 1. Our life is not our own, which is indeed the greatest comfort in life and in death. And all we have is given to us by our gracious and generous God. We are not owners in this life. What a great farce we've all believed. We are not owners in this life. We are stewards. We are stewards. So how are we stewarding all that he has given us? Our gifts. The the ways he's crafted us. The unique things about us. How are we stewarding that? Our time Every moment of every day is a gift to us from God. How are we stewarding that? Our resources, the the things that we happen to have that may be of service to him and to others. And our finances. Believing everything that we have, that though we may work and earn it, it ultimately is a gift from God who gave us the ability to even do this work, who gave us the breath to breathe, to be here. Are we generously offering these things back to God? Are we holding on to them? We've said it many times here. What we hold on to will crumble and fade. 
but what we release back to God, he will multiply. He will multiply. What if that boy held on to his loaves and fish? Can you imagine? What if he said, no, no, I need to feed my family. That's important. Well, I need to feed my family. What if he didn't trust it to a God who can take what we have and do immeasurably more? In case you missed it, I did say finances over there. I know your brain wanted to hop right over that, right? There's something in us that this pastor's talking about money again. I don't actually talk about it a lot. Neither does Pastor Curry. Our theology and our ecclesiology, so what we believe about God and what we believe about his church, believes the church is not ours. We are stewards. This is his church. This is God's church. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. So, so when we give tithes and offerings, say we, because not excluded, none of us are, when we give our tithes and offerings, you're not giving it to me. You're not giving it to consistory. You're not whatever. It, you're giving back to God what was God's in the first place. See, God establishes his church as a means of furthering his kingdom after Jesus ascended. And so as we give to the church, we are investing in the mission and the kingdom of God. That's the work of the leaders to make sure we're being faithful stewards of what you have entrusted to us to give back to God. It's a beautiful way that God has established to further his kingdom as all these kingdom outposts throughout his globe are offering out the love and hope and peace and the good news of Jesus. There's a lot you can say about finances and giving and all that, but we don't have time to deal with that wisely and more in depth right now, and we don't need to right now. But the question for us all to consider in every area of our lives, are we generous? Is the giving that we give, is it generous? Is there a level of sacrifice that you feel? And if not, what is that one small step you can take this month toward generosity? What can you do starting now to live into this generous life God is calling us to? What's one small step you can take? Now, if you, if you, if you do say, you know what, I do believe in a lot of ways I am living generously. Praise God for that. Celebrate that. That's God's work in you coming to fruition. Yes! And then what is one small step towards more radical generosity that you can take? Because none of us ever arrive. Are we living a generous life? This is the beauty. This paradox does prove true. Loss is gain. You know it's more blessed to give than to receive. So as we release our earthly treasures, we store up treasures in heaven, yes. And yes, where our treasures are, there our hearts will be also. I want Jesus to be my treasure. I want my heart so buried in his that when people see me and how I live my life, they don't see this five-foot-eight, flannel-wearing, can't-grow-a-beard, balding guy, but they see the Savior of the world living in me and through me. That is the prayer for all of us. Our hearts are so buried in the hearts of Christ that when people see who we are and how we live, they see past us and they see Jesus Christ. That is what matters. And there's a very important thing. Yes, we store up treasures in heaven as we faithfully serve him and all of that stuff, but we don't give to be blessed. That's not why we do this. No, we give because we are blessed. 
I need some more amens on that. We give because we are blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. What God told Abraham still rings true to us today. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are not a bucket to hold on to all God gave us. We are a pipeline to channel it through. Don't bury our treasures in the sand. May none of us bury our treasures in the sand. But be faithful to what God has entrusted us, to release it back to him. And as we do so, guess what? We will shock this self-centered world with the radical and generous love of Jesus Christ. Radical generosity gets the attention of a self-centered and materialistic world. Like, what in the world? Whoa! You've seen the stories? Those are some of the very few positive headlines to hit the news are crazy acts of generosity. We have reason to be generous. And when we are free from the power of consumerism and we view all we have as a gift from God, the generosity, it flows from our hearts. It is a way of life. It is the way of Jesus. And all we have for the sake of the world, we can now leverage this stuff because people will be stunned and they will ask questions and they will want to come to know the source of this generosity. And that source, as we know, is Jesus Christ. We as a church, we stand here celebrating God's radical generosity for 75 years. 75 years! Think of all of God's generous, generous pouring out he has done here. And not just God, but the generosity of faithful folks who have gone before and who are still present here at Hope Church. My heavens, we are here as a testament to generosity. The generosity of God. We have been deeply blessed. No doubt about it. So we celebrate today that because we have been blessed, the impossible is happening. I'm so excited to share this with you. We are officially getting a new parking lot. <laughs> yeah. They said it couldn't be done. All the plans have been worked out and finalized. You're going to hear a lot more about this tonight. Consistory has been fully involved, all this stuff. Everything's approved. We are so blessed to be able to do this thing. It's general maintenance upkeep, but we have the ability to do it, and that's a massive project. And so we are so blessed. We are so blessed to be able to do this. But we know we're not blessed just to be blessed. We're blessed to be a blessing. So for over a year, we have been praying and praying and planning and dreaming. How can we be generous like God? How, how can we take something that is like a normal maintenance repair upkeep that you have to do, like replacing our parking lot, knowing outside is our biggest mission field that we have, as you know, over the years, and how do we add a missional component to it? How do we give back to the God who has given us everything? We know for 75 years the church's mission has always been the same, to share the good news of Christ with the Westwood community. So believing we are blessed to be a blessing, we're not just replacing the parking lot. I am thrilled to share we are also adding an amazing playground for our Westwood neighborhood right here on our property. We have so much more to share with you about this. And if you are even skeptical an ounce, come tonight. 
because I love making believers out of skeptics. And God has been at work through a great host of people praying and planning this, and you will want to hear what is going on. Praise God for this opportunity. Praise God we are blessed, and praise God we are blessed to be a blessing. If you want to know more, come tonight. As we prepare to wrap up, I want to invite the worship team. Come on up at this time. They're going to come on up. Because in light of God's generosity, I think it's appropriate for us to enter into a season of reflection. And so the band's going to be preparing. They, they, this is a newer song for us. It's called Gratitude. And it's, it's to help usher into that very first response of generosity, which is to be grateful. And so they're going to sing this song, and, and you can hear the words that they wash over you and all of that. And as we do that, there's going to be some questions, reflection questions up on the screen. If you have your bulletin and a pen, I encourage you to write down and jot some things down. You'll see the slide will change about halfway through the song, and you'll get two more. But the idea is this song in this moment is that gratitude naturally postures us for worship. It helps us step into obedience to praise God, not just in full surrender, but full surrender that leads to trusting him and living a life of worship and response. So that's what we will be doing during this time together. That's what Jesus calls us to, to worship through surrender and obedience. The bridge of the song, it says, Come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me. Uh, Lift up your song. song. You got a lion inside of your lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. At first, it's like, that's a weird thing to sing. I'm singing to my soul. But then go to, the, go to the Psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Okay? There is several, several examples biblically of us encouraging our innermost being to posture ourselves to do what we believe God has called us to do. And that's what this song is doing. This is, what, this is when we sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Same thing. And so that's what we are doing because sometimes we need a shock because we've been in this world too long and we need to be reminded that there's a better way. And so that's what we're doing through this song and this time of reflection together is following in that. So I encourage you now, let's together enter into the season of reflection.